All right, we are in week two of this Christmas series called Gifts. If you're like, what in the world? What happened to Ephesians? Ephesians is coming back in January. Don't worry about that. This is a three-week Christmas series. We're talking about the three gifts the wise men gave to Jesus and what it actually means for us today. But before we get there, how many of you guys like to get like a new upgrade when it comes to like Christmas gifts? Like you get like a new pair of phone, like a, a new pair of shoes or a new phone, anybody, right? Christmas, Christmas is usually a time where you get an upgrade in something that you had before, whether, at, like I said, a pair of shoes, a new computer, or a new gaming system, or even a new phone. Um, like, usually whenever a new phone comes out, is it better or worse than the old one, right? It's always better than the old one, unless it's an iPhone, right? And then an iPhone has been the same for the last five years. They just changed the camera a little bit. But that's beside the point. Usually when something new comes out, it's because they believe that the new thing is bigger and better and more awesome than the thing that it is replacing, right? I remember whenever I was trying to get a new phone. I don't even remember what I had. This was like years ago. You guys don't even know what these two phones are. Um, I had an iPhone 4 and, okay, okay. And I had an iPhone 4, and I had it for like two years, and I wanted to buy an iPhone 6. And so I got on Amazon. I'm like, okay, I need to find a refurbished iPhone 6. And I found one for about $400. And I've been working through college. I was trying to save up. Okay, I need a new phone. Mine's barely working. The screen doesn't work. And, you know, if your touch screen doesn't work, then your phone doesn't work, right? So I was trying to get a new phone. Um, I, and I ordered on Amazon. And it's supposed to come in in two days. That prime delivery, two days. And the two days go by, it's not there. I'm like, okay, it's probably running late. I'm checking it. I'm tracking it. Um, three days go by. Four days go by. A week goes by. I'm like, where's my phone? It says it's shipped. I don't know where it's at. So I emailed the person. I'm like, hey, I don't know where my phone is. And like, okay, it's probably just delayed somewhere. Just wait. Um, okay, I'll wait a couple more days. And so wait. Two more days, three more days, another week goes by. So now it's two weeks past when it's supposed to come in. I email the person who shipped it again. I'm like, hey, my phone still hasn't come in. They're like, okay, um, here's the deal. Like if I, I, at this point, it's like I want a refund so I can at least buy a new one because the money, they already have my money. So I don't have my money. I don't have a phone. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like, I want a refund if it doesn't come in. Like, okay, if it doesn't come in in two weeks, we'll give you a refund. So I have to wait two more weeks, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Two weeks goes by, the phone's still not there, and I'm like, hey, my phone is, like, it hasn't come in yet. Like, like, okay, we'll send you the refund. The refund comes in in three days, and the very next day the phone comes in. So I was like, all right, cool, I get all this money back, and I got a free phone. I still have that phone, by the way. It's not useful. It broke. I had to get an upgrade on that. But usually it was a very cool upgrade for the phone I had before. And I, before you start judging me, you would do the same thing. And that was God blessing me because I had to pay for wisdom teeth out of my own pocket. And that money went straight to that. Otherwise, I don't know how that would have happened. So, right? Upgrades, right? The new thing is usually always better than the last thing. And this is actually the Christmas story. The Christmas story is the story of God giving us an upgrade, a new and better way of getting closer to him. And we find this symbolism in the gift of frankincense that the wise men gave to Jesus. So we, we know the story of the three wise men. We read it last, excuse me, last week about the three wise men. They knew about Jesus was coming. They were following the star. Like, where is this Jesus? We know that he is coming. And so they follow, follow the story and they get to him. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, the wise men, they get to Jesus and they say, uh, and it says, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, 
his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and they presented their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, frankincense, that has nothing to do with Frankenstein, I know, what are you thinking? Uh, Frankincense is a fragrance and an oil that the high priest would use whenever offering sacrifices at the temple. So like in, in the book of Levit- Leviticus, it says the high priest is supposed to offer bread and then get frankincense and put it over the bread as, an, as a sacrifice. So it was expensive and it was important. It was used by the high priest. And we know that the gift of gold, we talked about that last week, it represents that Jesus is the king. So these, you have to imagine There's this baby, and these three grown men, they come, and they literally bow down and worship this baby and give him gifts. The gold represents him as a king, and the fragrance is representing him as our high priest, which gives us a much better way of life in the new covenant. And this is where we're going to start differentiating between the new covenant and the old covenant. So what does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? We have to think, we have to understand what it means that Jesus is our high priest because it is a very important concept for what we believe as Christians. So before Jesus, God, he set up the system of offerings and sacrifices that allowed ordinary people to get into his presence again. Because we believe that in the first three chapters in the book of Genesis, it talks about what happened between us and God. Like, Adam and Eve, they were walking in in perfect unison with God, step by step, and then sin entered the world. And from that moment on, mankind, humans, us, we were separated by God because of our sin. Sin is such a big deal that people could not go into God's presence. God's presence in this time period, God God said, hey, build this temple, and I will be in that temple my presence will come and be in the Holy of Holies. And so God's presence is primarily in this temple before Jesus ever came. But in order for you to receive forgiveness for your sins, you had to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice for your sins. And because sin was such a big deal in God's eyes, the payment for sin it always required death. And it was a death of a perfect and blameless and innocent animal. And usually it was a lamb. So imagine this, before Jesus, if you wanted to get to know God and you wanted to receive forgiveness from God, you had to go up to, this, to Jerusalem and go up to the temple and offer a sacrifice and literally offer an animal to die in your place for your forgiveness of sins. And this only lasted one year. So that means the next year you had to do the same thing. The next year you had to do the same thing. But there was another problem. And that problem was that regular people couldn't offer sacrifices because regular people were too sinful to do that. Like you or me, we couldn't just walk into the temple and say, here's my sacrifice, God, forgive me my sins. No, you would be dead on the spot. God's presence was too holy for sin to enter into it. So God, he also set up a new thing. He says, I'm going to have a specific person, a chosen person that is going to offer sacrifices on behalf of everyone else. And they called him the high priest. The high priest represented people to God and represented God to the people. 
So the high priest was God's chosen person to represent the people to him, but he was also a sinful person. So before he could ever go into the most holy place, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself so that he could be clean. And then he could go in and offer the sacrifice for everybody else so that they could receive forgiveness of their sins. And this went on for thousands of years, but it was not God's final plan for us to be with him. Because remember, God, he created us to be in his presence. That's why God created us to be with him, to walk with him, to get everything that we need from him and him alone. But this was not his way, this final plan of that coming to take place. Because we were still broken and we were still dead in our sins. Like, could you imagine if we still had to do that today? Like if if we said, okay, if you want to be a Christian, you want to follow God, then you have to go to Jerusalem and find a sheep and you have to slaughter it before God and then God will forgive you. I guarantee you, I, yes, I can guarantee you there'd be way less people who say they follow God in this world, right? And way less sheep. No, I, I guarantee you, like, yes, less sheep. But none of us, like you won't walk into people or run into people in your high school and be like, are you a Christian? Like, yes, I just got back from Jerusalem yesterday. No. No one's doing that. No one's going to Jerusalem every single year to do that. Things would look different. So could you imagine if that's still how we had to do things? We had to go to the temple and have someone offer a sacrifice for you so that you could be forgiven. Now, that would be terrifying. That would be exhausting. But God provided a better way. He gave us an upgrade. He gave us a new way to get closer to him. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about this. Hebrews chapter 8 He says, now the main point of what is being said is this, that we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary in the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for the high priest also to have something to offer. But Jesus has now attained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which, is, which has been established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been had no occasion for a second one. And in verse 13, it says, By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete, and what is obsolete is growing old and is about to pass away. So the writer of Hebrews, he's talking about there is a new and a better covenant. The old way, it worked for then, but it's no longer necessary now because Jesus has paid the price once and for all. So the Israelites, before Jesus, they lived under strict law and often needed their sins atoned for by the high priest. And we know that this is called the old covenant. In this system that was set up in the Old Testament, it was a copy or was a shadow of what Jesus was about to do. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. It was showing us this is how things are going to happen. This is how sin is going to be atoned for. It was imperfect, but it was pointing to the New Testament, what Jesus was going to do for us in the New Testament. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain and the dividing wall in the temple that separates God from people was torn in two. So in that temple, like literally nobody could go in that most holy place except for the high priest, and he could only do it once a year. And he literally had to clean himself for an entire week before he could get in there. 
But the story says, in, or the gospel says in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that when Jesus died on the cross, it says when he breathed his last breath, he says, it is finished. At that point, the earth shook in the curtain that separated people from God. It was torn in two from top to bottom, which represents that God, he was tearing that dividing wall down, that there's no longer a separation between us and God, but because Jesus died in our place and he was the perfect spotless innocent person and he died for our sin, that means that there's no longer anything that's keeping us from God's presence. And when Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, he took the seat at the right hand of God as our high priest. And having made the sacrifice, he paid the price for our sins once for all. Jesus atoned for our sins with his life. And this is something or this is not something that he had to do every single year. This was a perfect sacrifice that was done once and for all. That means we don't have to go every single year to do this over and over and over again. Jesus paid the price once for all, and our debt has been paid. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, we are now made right with God when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And this is the new covenant. This is the, the upgrade. This is the better way to get closer to God. It says Jesus as our high priest, representing us to God and representing God to us. So how do we apply this to our lives? Like what does this have to do with us today? Hebrews chapter four says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was that perfect and blameless and innocent, sinless son of God. Jesus, he never sinned. Jesus, he never failed. And so whenever we think of Jesus that way, when we think of him as sinless and perfect and holy, we think of Jesus as someone who can't relate to what we're going through. We think of him as something like, you don't, Jesus, you don't know what it's like to deal with the temptations that I deal with. Jesus, you don't know what it's like to deal with the loneliness that I'm dealing with. Jesus, you don't know what it's like to deal with fill in the blank. We think that because Jesus never sinned, because he was perfect, he doesn't know what it's like to be one of us. But I'm here to tell you that he does. We don't have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's what that verse says. Like, that's literally the verse that says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Like, if you know anything about grammar, like, that's a double negative, and double negatives can be confusing. So how do you fix it? You take out both of the negatives. So here's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, we have a high priest that is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He has been tempted in every way that we are. Every temptation that you feel. Every darkness that you've walked through, everything that you think or, or, or thought about doing, Jesus has been tempted in every way. Jesus knows the battle. Jesus knows the struggle of what it's like to be a human and try to follow God in the world that does not follow God. Think about like you and a friend. Like, have you ever been in a difficult time or you've been in a place that you don't know how to get out of? But then you had a friend who went through that same circumstance and they helped you walk through that. 
Like maybe you lost a, a grandparent, but you had a friend that says, hey, I lost my grandparents a couple of years ago. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk through this and show you how to get through this and how to trust God. That is Jesus to us. He's like, I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to be human. And I know what it's like to come out on the other side perfect. and sinless. So walk with me and I'll show you how to get through it. It makes it easier to get through it. Jesus can sympathize with our every weakness and every temptation and every failure and every dark moment because he experienced everything that we have himself. Those feelings and those thoughts, Jesus has experienced that before. He can sympathize. He can relate to us. If the band will go ahead and come back. Jesus knows what you're going through and he wants to rescue you. Jesus knows that place where you are, where you feel it inside your, in your mind or your heart. Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you've done. And he still wants to rescue you. And Jesus, he knows what you've done. He knows what you thought. He knows what you said. And he still desires a relationship with you. We think like if anyone knew what I was really feeling, if anyone knew what I was really thinking or, or whatever, if they knew what I've done last week and if they knew what I said, then no one would really want to be my friend. No one would want to love me. No one would want to be with me. We think about that about God too. Like if God really knew me, he wouldn't want to save me. If God really knew me, he wouldn't want to have a relationship with me. Let me tell you, God already knows what you've been through. He already knows what you've done. He already knows what you said. He already knows what you're going to do, but he still desires a relationship with you. He still chose to love and, and to die for you. He desires that relationship. And as our high priest, he offers us a free gift. As we see God, it's called gifts. He offers us a free gift, and that's his, that is access to God himself. He says, if you want to get close to God, then my gift to you is access to him. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to bring an animal to the altar. Please don't. We don't have to go through anybody to get through God, but we can go to him ourselves. In that verse in Hebrews that we read, it says we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. We can go to God with boldness. And whenever we do that, we won't find judgment, we won't find shame, and we won't find guilt. Whenever we go to God, instead of finding guilt and shame and judgment, it says that we find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So whenever you feel weak and whenever you feel lonely, you feel isolated, you're like, I can't do this on my own. The Bible says, come to God with boldness. And the devil, he'll lie to us like, you can't do it. Like, he'll make us feel that shame. He'll make us think that we are somebody that is broken, that somebody can never be fixed again. The Bible says, come to him and you will find grace and mercy in your time of need. You don't have to be strong to come to God. You don't have to have it all together to come to God. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be holy. Jesus was that. And whenever we do that, God promises to help you, to heal you, to, to love you, to accept you. Jesus paid the price for you to have a relationship with God. So draw near to God. Come to God. Come close to Him. And that happens in moments of worship like this where we're about to get into, where we can get into God's presence. We can sing with those who are around us. But you can come near to God any time of the day, no matter what. It happens. You can draw near to God in moments like this. But you can draw near to God whenever you're driving by yourself and you feel overwhelmed. You can draw near to God when you're in your bedroom by yourself and you start to feel lonely. 
You can draw near to God whenever you're at school and you are sitting alone at the lunch table. You feel like no one sees you. You can draw near to God even in that moment. Draw near to God. You have unlimited access to God 24-7. The God of the universe, the God who created, the God who created the stars. You have unlimited access to him 24-7. And God, he's inviting you, come to me. I know what you've been through. I know what you're feeling. I know what it's like to be you. And I promise you, if you just come to me, if you lay down your burdens, if you lay down your stress, if you lay down your anxieties, you lay down your sin and your past, you lay down on me, I promise you to give you a new life, a life that is full of meaning and purpose. Enjoy everything you're looking for. It is in surrender to me. That is what God is saying. So draw near to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never said yes to him, you said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life. If you've never said, Jesus, save me, forgive me of my sins, and you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you want to make that commitment to him tonight, I just want you to raise your hand wherever you're seated so we can pray with you and know who we're praying for. No one looking around. It's complete privacy. If you want to have that relationship with Jesus, where you don't feel like you have to do it again by yourself, but you want You want to trust in him that Jesus did it for you. Amen. Amen, that's right. You guys can look back up at me. Everyone else, go ahead and stand. The worship team, they're about to lead us in uh, a song of worship. Jesus died on the cross for you to have access to God. My question for you is, are you making the most out of that gift? Are you making the most out of the access to God that Jesus has paid for us to have? Don't wait to thrive to have a relationship with him. Don't wait until you get out of high school. Don't wait until you get out of college. Don't wait until you get married or have kids to start having a thriving relationship with Jesus. Don't leave with any regrets. Don't leave tonight with any regrets of, of that you could have been closer to God that you could have had a more of an impact with, for God, for the kingdom. Don't leave high school. Don't leave college with any regrets of what you could have had with the relationship with God. Jesus came to give us that relationship and that access to him tonight 24-7. So make the most out of that. Jesus, we thank you so much for that presence. God, we thank you for that presence.